As a reminder to all of our Empaths Without Borders listeners out there, Sarah and I are not mental health professionals. Although we're professional in other ways. <laughs> and this podcast is not meant to be clinical advice. Uh, this is just our own perspective and our own inner work that we have done. And we hope that you enjoy regardless. And welcome back to Impasse Without Borders, the podcast where we make your problem our problem. Um, I am Jen C. And I'm Sarah. And today we thought we would talk about the idea of judgment and self-judgment and how they're really, spoiler alert, one and the same. How on a scale? Of, okay, here's my question for you. Okay, scale of one to ten, how judgy do you feel like you are, honestly, to other people? Yes, and not just like I'm not judgy, but I secretly am. Um, probably like if I'm being like honest, probably like a seven, six or seven. I would say that. Thankfully, as I've gotten older, I've become less judgy, which I mean, that can go either way, but I probably used to be an eight or a nine and now I'm probably a six. Yeah. Or less because I've figured out that secret link of other people's judgment of other people is often something about me. Yeah. And I think that that's kind of like why I said like six or seven um because I think I've been really trying to kind of reframe or rework it and be like wait why does that bother me like why is this thing that this person's doing bother me yes and it always comes back to me so on a scale of one to ten how how much do you judge yourself oh my gosh like a nine or a ten (laughs) (laughs) I judge myself all the time I often think that that's just really normal human behavior, but I think it does tend to be more prevalent in certain groups like empaths and other people that have maybe, I don't know, just grown up in different circumstances. So um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I I know I 100% agree. I think that a lot of it does kind of come down to socialization as well. And, you know, we talked a little bit I don't think last, maybe we talked about this last week or the week before, but a lot of the stuff that we are dealing with, like the things that bother us in our own lives, um, can be pretty directly traced back to how we were socialized as kids. So either socialized by parents, um, like schoolmates, uh, society just in general. Um, so no, 100%, I do think that a lot of those judgments that we have about ourselves are things that are coming up for us as we are adults. Yes. So I'm trying to think how to kind of get started with this. Um, I have a lot of 
yeah, just carrying a lot of judgments about myself. I'm, when people are really hard on themselves, it's because they're judging themselves. And that's often leading to that kind of should thinking. I should be this, or I should be this, or I shouldn't want this. And I think motherhood is especially just ripe with all kinds of judgments because it's really an area where um, I think the struggle is like, well, yeah, you know, there's kind of the circular argument that I shouldn't care what other people think, or maybe they're not, you know, it's like a self-judgment. So maybe it's just all in me, but then you realize that people really are judging you. And how do you navigate that and, and kind of detach from like, there are areas and motherhood is like a shining example. Like the whole world judges moms, right? You're, (laughs) I find this fascinating. Um, and I'm just going to speak about motherhood because that's the biggest area that I see it in. But, um, about 150 years ago, there was really no cultural link to between how your children turned out and how you parented them. It was just like, well, kids turn out how they turn out. So it wasn't anything you were doing or not doing. And slowly at the turn of the century, people started parenting like, oh, if I do this, they started seeing these links. Like I do this and a kid turns out this way. And I think shortly after that, we started then being able to really judge people. Like if your kid's not turning out perfectly, that's clearly what you've done wrong. And, and now we have a culture where moms are extremely hard on themselves and other moms because of this phenomenon. I was going to say, I think that I see a lot of that judgment. Um, It's like mom on mom crime almost. Yes, because we're so, well, first of all, we don't have a culture where we agree on what to, how to do it. So there's like way too many options out there but then everyone thinks their option is the right one. And there's just a lot of pressure, I think, on moms. So this is an interesting scenario where there is actual judgment out there. And it's not just like from yourself, you know, because some things are just yourself. And, you know, if you're like, man, I'm just, I just feel like I have to get really good grades. And you look around and you realize, well, no one's actually cares like nobody is making me want to get good grades it's all coming from myself but in the form of like motherhood that's coming from yourself but it's also coming from outside forces and then family forces too so you're getting it from all sides and so that's like probably one of the stickiest ones to really detach from and see where how to detach from people judging you and getting to a place where it doesn't matter and then untangling your own self-judgments about it. Yeah. And, um, it's interesting because we were just talking about this in my, uh, women's health class that I have. Um, and we actually, we talked a lot about how, um, you know, there's, a pretty significant link between uh like the mental health of moms and um 
I guess just like how they perceived their pregnancy and okay, how it went, if that makes sense. Okay. Like if they feel like, like, so for example, if um, a mom had some complications in her pregnancy and then like had to have a C-section um, and like, it was like not in her birth plan. And that was like, not something that she wanted was to have a C-section. Then she feels it's like, she's a lot more likely to experience like this deep guilt and um, like sadness over the fact that she couldn't, like, she wasn't able to, um, to like have a natural birth the way that she had planned or like, um, even breastfeeding, right? Like if a woman is un- is incapable of, um, breastfeeding, I think that there's like a lot of judgment and a lot of, um, I guess like, yeah, like self-judgment from herself, and also judgment from other people like saying like well if you're not like that's like the one thing that your body's supposed to do like why aren't you able to do it which is pretty crappy um but yeah so I I don't know I just think that it's it's really interesting and I think that just societally I think I see a lot more women who experience this like deep judgment of themselves and of other women um more so than men right and it makes sense because so like a simple it's not simple but a simple choice of like I'm going to stay at home to take care of my own children because I feel like that's the best thing for them it's hard to make a a choice like that even if it's just like you know that's just what works for me but then it's perceived as, well, if this is right for me, then you must be wrong if you choose something different. Yeah. Or like, come on, we fought for so long for women to have the right to go to work and to be a mom. Why wouldn't you take a, like so many people before you worked hard to get that? Like, why wouldn't you take that opportunity? Right. And there's judgments about it's just super pervasive, like a working mom's judged a stay-at-home mom is judged and I can only speak from staying at home, but there's then this judgment. And then I carry the self-judgment of like, what did you do all day? What, how did you contribute? Um, I felt a lot of like, I don't even know what to talk to you about. Cause you don't, you can't relate to, to things or, you know, I'd go to a social event and people could talk about work, but they couldn't even think of something to ask me about my day. And yeah. then that really piled on with like, well, maybe that's true, right? Like I have, so playing into like how judgment becomes self-judgment and vice versa. Um, I have this belief typically that I'm really working on to clear <laughs> this block about, but if I believe something about myself and then somebody else vocalizes that belief about me, I'm like, well, there's two of us that think that. So it must be true. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my so, gosh. I was thinking it. Yeah. Like, oh no. So then you're like, well, that, you know, if you're like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing good. You know, like a lot of moms are like, I'm doing terrible as a mom. And then someone comes along and is like, you're doing terrible as a mom. You're like, well, see, that's concrete evidence to say I'm a terrible mom. And 
one of the blocks I'm working through right now is, and this is kind of out there thinking with inner work, but it's a really actually great indicator when someone else can actually vocalize, like literally is vocalizing a misbelief you have about yourself. So when you hear someone say that about you, if you can reframe it to like, oh, he's, he or she is saying a really terrible thing I say to myself. And that's like a good flag to be like, oh yeah, I shouldn't think that, you know, that's not true about me. But instead I've always been like, well, there's two of us. So I guess that's true. I guess I, I even struggle to like, to really recognize when what I'm saying to myself is actually like putting myself down. I don't know if that, that doesn't make sense the way that I just said it. I, let me try to, I mean, let me try to restructure it. I think that for me, there's a really fine line between um, critiquing myself. I, I don't know if, that that's, if that's the right word either. Like pushing myself to do better, to be a better person and judging myself. Like it's a very fine line for me because yes, and that's a great point because most people don't know that line and the people that judge themselves the most are the ones who do want to be the best they can be. So you are pushing yourself to be that higher self and the fine line that you really have to start to work on is how kind of how you're making yourself feel. So say, say you made a legitimate mistake. If you're really tuning into your feelings, you just kind of feel it, right? You feel icky. You're like, oh, I messed up. And it, the faster you can tune into that, because often we mess up and then we try to deny it because we don't want to feel icky. <laughs> like, oh, we didn't mess up. It was someone else's fault, blah, blah, blah. All these excuses. Um, or we go the other way is when we mess up, then we just beat the crap out of ourselves. Like if you start to catch yourself again, judging yourself for the mistake instead of judging the mistake, I think is the key. You're, if you're upset about an action you did, that's probably your inner guidance being like, yep, you messed up. You need to do something to repair that. Or how do you fix it or learn from it next time? If your mind is going to, man, I'm so stupid. How could I mess that up again? I'll never get it right. I'm terrible that's when you know it's not self-critiquing. It's being super harsh and unforgiving with yourself. Yeah. And, you know, I think I've said this on, um, on previous podcasts before. So one of the things that I'm really working on myself is having more self-compassion mm -hmm. for myself and just like my capabilities and what I'm able to get done I guess um and I think that like a lot of that did come from this last year like in 2020 um mm. because <laughs> scout is very sympathetic I'm sure scout um that's that's Sarah's dog by the way <laughs> 
She um, finished her peanut butter mat. Already? That was really quick. I know. She and now more. She's to start whining for more. So we'll see. I feel like you need to like figure out a like I know that she just got it, but I feel like there needs to be some like training there so that she's just not constantly. Well, the begging. funny thing is she didn't just get it. She's had it for a, a year and she just found it after we moved. Oh. But she hasn't had it for a couple months. <laughs> so it's like this, like, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't believe. We found it again. <laughs> anyway, sorry. I've, oh, self-compassion. Self-compassion. Um, that that was a big tangent. I'm sorry. I just scout was whining. <laughs> um, okay, so we had to take a, a small break um, so that Sarah could give Scout some more peanut butter. I remembered <laughs> where I was though. We were talking about self-compassion, um, and I was just saying that I think that a lot of the work that I did in trying to have more of that self-compassion came in 2020 um kind of with just a lot of the thoughts and feelings that I had about world events that happened in Mm -hmm. 2020 so obviously the coronavirus pandemic um I think a lot of the um events surrounding Black Lives Matter and also the election. Um, And I know that it seems weird that I'm talking about those like big life events when we're talking about self-judgment. And I think that where I found myself getting like really wrapped up is, well, first of all, the doom scrolling. Mm. I was like, I need to be an informed citizen about what's going on in the world. So I would just like be on Twitter, just like on a certain hashtag and just like scroll forever and ever and I just my I just I just got like my mental just got worse and worse and worse as I was going along because I was like man like the world is just kind of a crappy place just in general Mm -hmm. and um what am I really doing to like help contribute to that or to help mitigate that um and it also like it just like caused this, I call it my existential dread. (laughs) It just like really, like really fed into my existential dread. I'm like, what's the point of even being a human in this world when like we have like billionaires that are just like screwing over everybody and like white people are just pervasively racist in all systemic levels of government and you know, like it, I think that, um, I, I internalized a lot of that stuff. Like, well, I'm not doing enough by myself. Like I'm not working. I like, oh my gosh, I haven't worked on, um, being an Mm anti-racist, you know, like I had, like, this is something that I have to do now because I, man, like, I I'm such a shitty person because I didn't do it and it's not and it's not that I even didn't even do that right like I I did do quite a bit of anti-racist work not necessarily the you know books and literature that I have engaged with now in the past like year and a half 
I have done that though. I have been, I have been like, yo, wow, you know, there's really, there's something going on here and um, acknowledging the privilege that I have in the world and how um, others don't have that same privilege and being very like mindful of that when I'm having conversations with people. So it wasn't that I hadn't been doing it. I, I felt like there was like so much judgment from like, I didn't want to be judged as mm-hmm. um, somebody who hadn't engaged in a very specific way or even with the election. Um, you know, I had like a lot of just like existential dread tied up in that as well, because it's like, oh my gosh, this is something that, and it's, and the thing is like, that's like the definition of something that I cannot control. Right. Like all of those things are like the definition of things that I cannot control. Like I cannot control the outcome of the election. I can vote. And as much as we talk about how every vote matters, like my singular vote is not going to make, like be the make or break decision. Um, yeah. And I just like found, like, I was just like this, like, just like all this judgment, like, well, you didn't do enough. Like you could have done, you could have canvassed, you could have, mm. you know, you could have like educated people, all the trolls on Facebook, Sure. <laughs> which don't, don't troll, don't troll the trolls on Facebook. Cause it's you're, not, it's not worth it. It's, it's not, not worth it. it. Well, you hit on several really big juicy points. Um, and I probably won't remember them all, but one is just that sometimes this is kind of a mind blowing thought of like, when we really get into that judgment of like, like the, I like to think of it as like the hand wringing of like, Oh, what is this world coming to? Oh gosh, I can't, this is terrible. It's almost a deflection. Like in a, in a twisted way, it makes us feel good. Cause we're using mental energy to like be upset about something without action or like we you know like you said like clearly there's things you can't control but then we think we're contributing by being upset that we can't control them instead of really going back into yourself and like like releasing the judgment and then if I really did care about these things what could I be doing in small ways in my own life? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that honestly, you know, looking back, I think that in a lot of ways, um, and I think that this is just a phenomenon I just notice in general um, with, I, I, I did not mean for this to turn into like a, like an anti-racist podcast. <laughs> We'll get to that. We'll get to that stuff. Um, uh, but like, I think that there's a, there's this kind of this phenomena with, um, a lot of white people who are going through anti-racist work, like inner work on themselves, um, that it's a way for them to solidify in their minds that they are good people. Yes. And it's more like, it's my, it's like a, it's like this idea, like this, I'm gaining self-actualization 
like justification to myself that I am a good person by doing this anti-racist work. And that's not the point of it. Um, the point of doing anti-racist work is to, um, like if you, if you don't feel a little bit crappy when you're going through it, I think you're doing it wrong. I'm not saying that you need to like be sitting there, like stewing in your own guilt. Right. You can go to either extreme, like the whole, like when white people first start learning about anti-racism, they go into this extreme guilt and it's almost paralyzing because then you're like, oh my gosh, there's, there's no point. I don't know what to do. I feel terrible. I guess I am a terrible person, you know, like that's not serving either. And then you're saying like it, it kind of twists too. of like, well, if in a way, if I can kind of beat myself up about it, then I look like a good person. Yeah. My thing is like, no matter what the subject is, whether it's COVID anti-racism, local issues, like really we have to just keep coming back to ourselves because we have to like change starts inside and it kind of branches out like then to your family and we underestimate the power of like our own inner work influencing these things because action will come once you're centered in who you are and what you want to be and it trickles down through the people you're interacting with so if you're reading something and then you want to jump off the couch to do something you're probably not totally following and in tune like I'm centered and I'm ready to grow it's more like I just want to do something and for whatever reason but it's not really going to affect change like to assuage my guilt yes or like I'm gonna do the rounding up to donate to a certain cause at the grocery store like I did my part I I donated 80 cents to and honestly everything's all good too like you know we can't take up every cross in the world no you can't be an advocate for everything in the world um and really you want to this topic came up in my coaching groups it comes up several times like you know, if I'm trying to call in abundance for my life, but all these people that don't have it, it's almost like I shouldn't ask for it because other people might not have it. But the fact is that you can't really help if you don't have abundance yourself either, (laughs) because that's how you can make change. Like it's pretty hard to help people if you don't have money to help people, or if you don't have the education background. And just that idea that like, oh, I shouldn't have this because no one else does, but maybe that's your path to really making a huge impact. And um, I kind of forgot where I was going with that. But anyway, the other point too, is like when you're talking about existential dread (laughs) and like, like COVID is really bringing up that a lot. Like I have a different view of a lot of my friends but where I really, it really rubs me is when people are like doing the doom scrolling, like you said, and it's like affecting their lives in such a dramatic way, even though COVID itself is not influencing them at all, but the fear and the doom scrolling is really playing a part of their mental health, even though they're in a bubble where 
you know, it's not like anyone in their lives has been affected directly by it. They have a job, no one's sick, Mm -hmm. but they're carrying on like this is this like end of the world, like because it's all outer focus. Like when you start getting into like these people need to do this and it's these people's fault and these people, if they would just listen and if these people would just, you know, do this and this and this, you're not going to be very mentally healthy if that's where your focus is. But if it comes back to you and like, you know, I'm doing what I can. I feel like I'm educating myself. I'm doing X, Y, and Z. And now I'm just going to um, not focus on the fear, but focus on all the good things that I still have in my life is where that's how you serve the whole thing the best. Yeah. And, you know, kind of bringing it back to judgment, I think that the majority of judgment, if not all of the judgment comes from fear. Yeah. I think that that's probably the biggest emotion that leads to people having judgment of themselves. Um, and then in turn, like that judgment of other people, it comes back to this fear of wanting, like wanting something in your life. I think that you know, if we think about a lot of the, um, I kind of was talking about how there's a lot of like judgment that women have for each other. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that comes back to fear and insecurity. Yeah. Because you're absolutely right. Like what if I made the wrong choice or I'm so terrified of being seen like this person that I'm going to tear them down so that I am like so clear to everybody around me that I am against what that person is doing, right. even if it's something dumb. Right. And honestly, in that same vein of like, again, the example of like staying at home or working as a mom, you have to, if you're building so much evidence that you're right about your choice, it's really that you're trying to convince yourself because deep down, like you do have that fear that what if this, what if I'm wrong? What if this isn't the best choice? What if I mess this up? So I often think it's a big, a big clue for me is if I'm trying to convince someone else of what I believe, that means I might not really be a hundred percent sold on the idea either. And tying back to my first statement of like, Cause then it's kind of like, well, if I can convince you I'm right, then you'll help me feel right. Or even just gaining validation from other people. Right. Cause um, you're really trying to, you're trying to use them as evidence. Like I said, well, if two of us think that then it'll be true. So if I can convince you I'm right, then I, I'll really feel right about it instead of, I just have to operate if I'm not feeling that secure in my decisions or how I'm living my life, I need to just come back and reassess what I'm doing. And it's like that with motherhood or COVID or anything. And Mm -hmm. like COVID, especially that's bringing up all the fear in the universe, right? Like, yeah, then we're projecting it all outward, like, and we're giving all of our power away really like, because we're like, Oh, this person it's, 
I'm not going to be safe unless this other person does what I need them to do. And that argument's on both sides. Like, you know, it could be like, if this person doesn't wear a mask, I might die. Or if this person, you know, just falls in line, I'm going to lose my freedom. So, so then we're putting all the power outside of ourselves to these other people. And we're like, my job is to make sure if I can convince them, then I'll be safe instead of I'm going to be safe no matter what, because I'm taken care of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that that's a really good, um, a really good way to, uh, what's the word, um, the word like you like take something reframe. Thank you. You didn't say anything, but reframing, I think that that's a really good way to reframe it. And, um, just in general, maybe we, maybe we just need to do a podcast on reframing. Cause I think mm -hmm. that that's such an important tool to have in your tool belts, um, being able to take any situation and reframe it. And, you know, sometimes I do think that like reframing can seem like this, like, like, I don't know, like a magical unicorn, like, ah, oh, like it, it fixes everything. And that's not necessarily the case. Um, yeah, no, that's, a, you're right. A whole nother podcast for maybe next week. Cause maybe next week, there's a lot of ways you can re use reframe inappropriately to try to just be okay with what's happening. But even like, so like, I'm just thinking about, you know, one of the things that I've been um, working on with um, trying, trying to reframe is, and I just think that this is maybe something that, um, and you can correct me if you feel like this is like not reframing. Um, so I think that there's like this, there's like this sense um, in society right now that we're just waiting for things to quote unquote, get back to normal mm -hmm. from COVID. And I think that people who like, I think that again, like that's like a fear response. It's like, well, this is like a thing that has caused a lot of stress in my life. And I, um, I don't want this to be a part of my life anymore. So once it's over with and done with, like, I'll get, we'll get back to normal. Right. And I don't, I don't think that we're, we're not going to get back to the place that we were in 2019, 2018, right. like society will not be like that ever. And that's like, it seems like a very bleak process or like a very bleak prognosis. Maybe that's a better word, like a, like a very bleak prognosis that we're just going to be like living in this situation. And what I'm choosing to do is I'm choosing to look at the, the things that, um, the pandemic has pointed out about society yes. that we are, that we are now like, oh, okay. So I think that a bigger, a really big one is, you know, working from home. I think that there was a really big argument for a really long time about people not working from home mm -hmm. because they're like, it's going to affect productivity, blah, 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 like all these excuses. And then when it became something that was like a necessity, um, they found out that that was not the case, that it didn't affect productivity. Um, it actually, in some cases, like it boosted productivity right. of like workers or even, um, you know, like this culture that we have, like, if you're sick, you just have to push through it because if you're, if you're sick, 
um and you have like you had to save up your sick time for when it like really matters or something like that like we just have like terrible sick time policies in the U.S. just in general um and now there really is like a push like even if you just have a cold don't come into work right you know and kind of this push towards health um and even just in my school right now like I had a really bad cold and I was like I don't feel like I should go to school and like infect people like all my classes are live streamed now right and recorded so that I can go back in and look at them and even if I did wasn't sick I can still just go back and look at them like why weren't we doing that before (laughs) exactly like that would be so helpful for not just people who are sick but just for anybody who's like oh god I didn't get this concept in this class like I'm just had to ask like a neighbor but if I like could go back and look at the lecture and we're like, oh, now I get it, right? And right. so I'm choosing to look at the things that I'm, I'm, I understand that there's a lot of really destructive things that have come out of the pandemic. And I'm choosing to kind of look at the silver lining as mm-hmm. it, as it is and focus on the things that this has helped us recognize in society that we can um, kind of use to our advantage to further the health of all people in society. Well, you're right. Like looking at the silver linings, but then also looking at, and this is a big mind shift too, of like looking at the challenges as what is this here to teach me? So even when like things like a pandemic, my life coach always says, it's like the universe shaking out your junk drawer, like everything's going to come out and tying into that fear stuff. So the negative things, is bringing up all this fear and confusion. And that's the, the time to really look in and be like, okay, why is this bringing up this in me? And, or is this a time to shift, like getting sick or losing a job even are huge opportunities in a way to shift into something better. Can you hear Scout? Yeah. (laughs) She's so annoying. Um, and then to tie up today, the other, the third point that you had brought up talking, like when we were talking about how to assess between self-judgment and just like, I want to be a better person and how, like when you're really beating yourself up, it's, it's the self-judgment and it's, that doesn't serve you. That's not going to help you improve. Right. Um, it reminded me of a Brene Brown quote that I wanted to read and maybe it's a good thing to tie up (laughs) scout agrees (laughs) okay dog trainers out there I (laughs) realize you know like children if you just give in they'll just keep going but she's a basset hound and she will like outlast you so I I mean I don't know Sarah I think I I don't know how to function if she just sits there and cries for like 10 hours because that's not where I can go with that. But anyway, her quote is, yes, I'm imperfect. Today was a shit show. I'm vulnerable and I was afraid a lot today, but that doesn't change the truth that I am brave and I am worth. I'm also worthy of love and belonging. Oh, well, that's very nice. Yes. And I, I did just see wanna- something. I did something really funny. It was like Brene Brown became the world's therapist 
this last year <laughs> just from her podcast. Was- I mean, she's brilliant. And that's like how to tell, I guess, when you're being critical or improving and just judgmental. If you can say, yeah, I messed up and I'm still worthy and I'm a really great X, Y, or Z. <laughs> She's really making the serious moment. I know. I was like, this is this is completely like Scout is really just um testing. <laughs> She's really testing me. I mean, she has like a year and a half, so that would make sense, like age-wise. She's kind of being a little turd a lot. But anyway, I think that's a really good place to end. And yeah, I think that um maybe next week we can talk about reframing um because i think that reframing is like i said it's just just such an important tool to have and it's something that um takes a lot of practice to do yes like and sometimes sometimes your come- limiting thoughts on or like the wrong ways to reframe is important because yes. it's not necessarily like no matter what's happening, just look at the silver lining. Yeah. It's not like, I was going to say like, um, like almost like a Pollyanna, um, syndrome. We're not trying, we're not saying that you guys should all just go out there and be Pollyannas because that's not realistic. Sometimes, sometimes you just have to say, man, this is really crappy and this is what I'm choosing to take from it. (laughs) So until next time, goodbye, everybody. Bye.